0: Welcome to Pharmacy View, Technology and Pharmacy Business Podcast Series, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key industry people within the Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In each podcast, we look to discuss aspects of pharmacy operation and how technology is improving or interacting with each guest's current role or pharmacy related business. I'm your host, Scott Carpenter, and today's guest is sponsored by Shopfront Solutions, leading the way in digital marketing and communications providing a cloud-based platform for pharmacies to manage all of their digital messaging and print-based collateral. For more information on the Shopfront Solutions digital platform, simply go to the website at shopfrontsolutions.com.au. I'm talking today with Guy Leach, who many of you may know as Ironman champion Guy Leach, but also has a really interesting association today with the pharmacy industry. Welcome, Guy. Hello. How are you? Not too badly at all. Great to have you on board. So, obviously, you and I have worked together for some time now, so we, we know each other fairly well by now. But for those of you who may not know um, of your background, uh, who is Guy Leach?
1: Well, uh, mate, no one really knew me until 1984. I was, uh, I was a kid trying to um, trying to go to the Olympic Games. I wanted to. Compete for Australia, or uh, represent Australia in swimming, and so I started that campaign at the age of nine, right through to I, was, I was seventeen years of age. And it would it, it, for me the 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 journey changed and shifted to wanting to do Iron Man after watching a TV commercial with Grant Kenny, um, who was famous at the time back in the eighties as the Iron Man champion, and he was on an ad on television promoting Kellogg's Nutrigrain of all things, and um, the TV commercial, um, they did such a good job of it, I suppose, you know, sort of, I suppose, making Ironman sport look like a hero sport that I, I went and joined the surf Club the next weekend at Manly and wanted wanted to be like Grant Kenny's. So that sort of changed and shifted what I did. And a year and a half later, a movie that was, was touted as being the next big thing after Mad Max, a, a movie called The Calling Out of Gold was about these two brothers that wanted to be the Ironman champion and Grant Kenny played himself in this movie um, and they needed an incredible finish to the movie for the script to um, like an unbelievable Ironman race and they came up with this race a real race from Surface Paradise to Cooling and and back which was you know 46 kilometers something that you know a normal Ironman race was a couple of kilometers um, as compared to you know 46k so it was a Massive change. They promoted the hell out of the thing. I turned up to the Gold Coast. They put fifty thousand dollars worth of money on it. First place was twenty thousand dollars worth of gold, and it took me four four hours and thirty minutes to beat a hundred of the best aquatic athletes that turned up from around the world. And mate, I was famous overnight, and a sport was born on that that day. And mate, that was me. I was doing that for the next fifteen years. So yeah, that that's my story. Really, I did History. that for. A long period of time and you know I was one of those fortunate people that did the thing he loved the most and uh and did it for a living
0: living yeah and uh obviously I'm also aware that uh your your roots are actually based in Melbourne and you might have actually some very earlier AFL affiliation but um many other people who may not know your Iron Man story might also know you from the Australian Survivor Series
1: yeah yeah it's, it's funny when you become known you get rung up a lot by television well you know the the, the start of the reality TV programs on television were back in the 80s I suppose and Survivor was the first one but it's funny I've knocked back <laughs> over the years every type of reality celebrity show you can imagine so I've I'm knocked back Dancing with the Stars, the ice skating one, the diving board one, uh, the singing one, I'm trying the Big Brother celebrity version I knocked all of them back and then I got asked to do Survivor and Out of all the shows on television, our whole family loved that show the most. And we all would sit and watch it and and get into the characters and all the rest of it that were were competing in it. And so when I got asked to to compete in a Celebrity Survivor, that was where I went, yeah, I'm in. And so uh, it's like 14 years ago now, I competed over in Vanuatu and... It was just like your normal Survivor, where you starve and people get voted out and all those things. And yeah, I ended up after a month of doing doing the Survivor thing, ended up being the, the last one standing. So it was a yeah, it was a good experience.
0: That's from that as well. And obviously aware today that uh, you're residing on the on the North Shore in Sydney, and that's had its challenges of late. But also doing sport and fitness, uh, coaching and training around the place. And uh, and obviously today's a bit about. The technology around defibs so how did that all come about? Where's the story there?
1: Yeah, you know, defibrillators. I was only saying to a person on the phone just before that. Unfortunately, people that get involved with defibs normally get involved in it through a tragedy. Unfortunately, or or escaping escaping one just. And for me, it was was the the first instance in that I was I was taking a fitness class that I've been doing down near Manly on the harbour there for the last eighteen years, and it was a It was just like any other morning where we we went paddling and paddled into into harbour beaches and did exercises on the beach and that sort of stuff. And at the back end of this session that we're doing with about 25 predominantly guys in the session, one of the boys who was one of my best mates said to uh, the group to tell me that he was going to paddle back in earlier, just before the end of the session because he wasn't feeling that good. So my mate Chucky paddled back in to Manly Harbour, just near where the ferries come in, to Manly, and unfortunately dropped and had a cardiac arrest right near his car on the grass and we paddled back in about five minutes later I still remember now I know the guy that said to me as we were paddling in. he said is that someone up there doing resuscitation and I looked up and you know it was sort of 300 meters away and I said yeah yeah geez we better get up there and do something and then one of the other boys said is that Chucky and I said no 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 it can't be Chucky and that was the start of it and, and it obviously was him and I took over and did performed CPR on him and did that until the ambos turned up um, and he didn't make it. So, you know, it was a, was an absolute shock. It was something that, you know, was still to this day, um, you know, just a terrible feeling. Um, but what I learned off the back of it was that had we had a defib there, he would have had a much, much better chance of surviving. And from that then, you know, all the people there that watched that that occur that day and all the other people in the paddling group, that knew Chucky all wanted to know more. They wanted to learn CPR. They wanted to know more about defibs. They wanted to get checked up by cardiologists themselves on their heart. And that began my journey into defibs. So we got, I got a defib. I investigated which ones were the best. My the friends in the group all wanted defibs. So yeah, so here we are now talking about it, and then we're we're over five years past that day. So that's um yeah, time goes
0: on. Yeah. Um, On that note, too, I think a a good learning here. I've I've listened to you a couple of times when we've been in meetings or training sessions about that. You sent your crew off all to get health checks or heart checks, and and that story I think is quite a quite a valid one here for people to be aware of.
1: Yeah. Look, there's there's a number of things that you can do to to you know give yourself the best chance of not dying from a heart related incident. Certainly, your lifestyle choices are are at the forefront. There's no doubt what you eat, exercise. Reducing stress, you know, not smoking, those sort of things, but you know, knowing what's going on inside your body is a massive part of you know dodging a heart-related incident. And you know, the, the, the people in my group, as I said before, predominantly males, middle-aged. There was about a hundred guys that turned up every week, some sessions, to go and train with me. And I said to those guys, "Look, we don't want to be doing this again. We want to make sure that we're on the front foot." So you've got 12 weeks to go to a doctor, get a referral and go and see a cardiologist and get checked up, get your heart checked up. So uh, we're talking 39 year old being the youngest, 72 year old being the oldest. And if you saw a picture of these guys, you would have thought, yeah, they're all fit looking, fit looking guys that that have kept themselves in good nick. So off they went of those hundred, Five had to go straight into hospital to have stents put in and another 10 had to go on medication because of issues to do with um, high blood pressure, cholesterol, those sort of things. And you literally would look at these people and go, mate, they are fit looking individuals. The, the the irony in the story was that the, the one that had two stents was the 39-year-old who you would say on paper was the fittest out of anyone in the group and trained the house down and not an ounce of fat on him. And yeah, it was the youngest in the group and he had two stents put in. So you just don't know. Like you don't know what's going on inside your body unless you get it checked up.
0: Yeah. And and as you highlighted there, it's not just necessarily everyday people, it's the fit and healthy, it's the young, it's the old. It's everyone, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it
1: doesn't it doesn't discriminate. And like so your your genetics and your family history and all those things come into it, you know, and you, you sort of think, particularly males, that when you hit fifty and the government sends you you know, testing to do and those sort of things that now it's time to get everything checked up. But, you know, like we're talking about, you know, a kid under the age of 10 today dies of a electric, electrical issue of the heart. Um, Fit teenagers, 20 year olds right up. So, you know, you just, it's one of those ones where age doesn't count as much. And, you know, your heart, you need your heart to pump to stay alive. And, Mate, it's pretty important, so yeah, there's there's a real message in that
0: from that. and and obviously that leads into the the development of your or the creation of your business, which we can talk about in a minute. But I guess what we really want to talk about today is the is the technology that sits around that. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the dfib, where' it come from, what's involved?
1: Yeah, so I learned all this you know as we've gone on the last five years, and you would you would com- consider myself to be, you know, you know i suppose an expert now compared to most people on on dfib so the the original defib that was invented was one out of Seattle and a company called physiocontrol developed the first defib, which shocked someone's heart to 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 restart the heart you know essentially and and that was used based on a, a car battery which generated you know voltage through through a big machine that that did that and so basically uh, that was 70 years ago. And because of that, that business is still in Seattle. Their survival rates from a heart-related incident in the streets of Seattle out of hospital is the highest in the world because people are trained up to do CPR. Uh, people are willing and able to go and help. And there's defibs you know, right around the community. So, so that was the start. And if you fast forward to today, then a defib is the size of a lunchbox, not a car that has leads that can, can go through a machine to, to bring someone back to life. And they weigh just over a kilogram. They can handle rain. They can handle up to 52 degrees Celsius heat. So, you know, times have changed. And even in the last five years, to be fair, um, I've seen some quite dramatic changes in that time as well.
0: No, that's cool. And, and again, obviously, from my perspective, this is a lot that I've learned as we've gone through this journey together in the last 12 to 15 months. The, the technology, I guess, that sits behind these machines today, uh, you know, and again, the fact that they're small, the fact that they're portable, how has that developed over time, or what's been involved with that, or what's sitting behind that?
1: Yeah. So the the deeps have a capacitor that that basically takes the battery's energy and stores it into a shock that gets delivered and it gets delivered in so like 3000 volt charge gets delivered into a body when you press the button or the or the, the defib automatically shocks in in a, in one thousandth of a second and that's enough electricity to light up like a 100 watt bulb for 23 seconds so it's it it delivers a decent whack a decent shock to change the patterns of the body to get the heart restarted they're very effective. And I say that because statistics show that if you've got an electrical issue with your heart and, and you need a shock to get it restarted, then, you know, with getting a defib on someone in that first 180 seconds um, and perform, performing adequate CPR that the, the defib tells you to do and, and letting the, the defib shock you, the person's got about a 70% chance of uh, of surviving. With good CPR, and and in that same time slot of getting the defib on someone, up to ninety percent chance. So you know, with me doing it, that means you know, knowing what I'm doing. Yeah, you know, we're talking about you know, up to ninety percent chance of surviving. Now, the the one that'll shock everyone listening, the stat is that, and this is no reflection on on ambulance drive ambulance people at all. It's about time. So if you ring triple O around a CBD area, and it's worse out in the country. Expect an ambulance to turn up in between 12 and 15 minutes, depending. For every minute after that first 180 seconds of not getting the pads of a defib on the patient, you've got 10% less chance of surviving. So if you run the maths out to 12, 13, 14, 15 minutes, which is the average call-out time, then the chances of restarting the heart's about 6%. So you know it's it's black and white. So you know there's there's a few things in this one that's that is interesting, and and it's no reflection on on other diseases and other issues out there. But today in Australia, nearly a hundred people die from an electrical issue with the heart today. That's more than anything else in Australia that kills people. It's more than cancer. It's more than car accidents. It's more than COVID. It's more than fires. And we've got a solution, and it costs between. Two to two and a half thousand dollars. And these units are portable. You don't need to plug them into the wall. They tell you what to do, all that good stuff. You don't have to be an expert to use it. So we sit here today in Australia with something that you've got a 6% survival rate if you haven't got a DFID with you. It's the biggest killer in this country. And we've got a solution that costs a couple of grand. So to me, you know, the next point to raise is well, then why hasn't the government made it mandatory in schools? If a kid today under the age of ten is dying, why isn't it mandatory in gyms where when you raise your heart rate, if you've got something wrong with your heart, you've got a better chance of having something go wrong? They they don't have them there yet, and you know you start talking about something that's not common sense. There's a fire extinguisher in every building in Australia. You have to have it, and and mate, they should be there. It's, it's important. But in a whole year, we lose about a hundred Australians to a fire-related incident in a year today. We lose that same number from a cardiac arrest, but DFibs aren't mandatory. So go figure.
0: Yeah, and 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 out and that's we're talking out of hospital cardiac arrests here as well. Which again, you know, if, if you look at it, the size and the technology point of view, if this was something that predominantly happened in hospitals, then the market wouldn't be chasing the need for a lunchbox-sized defibrillator. They'd be big machines that would be sitting inside the hospital facilities. But but this whole technology that's been devised. To, to be able to be portable and in the, in the community, which is where we know it needs to and be. And
1: Scott, you got you got to remember that people think, oh, well, the ones on the street, you know, that I could have at home or in the office or... It should be at my, my kid's school. Oh, they're probably not as good as the ones in the hospital. These units are, 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 are small, weigh a kilogram. Mate, when you put the pads on the patient, it coaches you. The, the units coach you how to do CPR. The deep people say to you, push deeper push quicker. Good, good. We've got units that you can that you can set them for Chinese or you can set them for other languages so people understand the commands of what's going on. We've got units that, you know, in childcare centres and schools where you press a button if it's if you want if you've got a child that needs help as opposed to an adult to change the voltage that comes out of the unit. So mate, these things are very sophisticated and highly technological units that are super simple to use, but are just fantastic. And for the, you know, when you start talking about a couple of grand, they used to be, you know, six, seven years ago, they were five grand up to 10 grand. Now they've come down to a couple of grand. It's like, you know, for an eight year warranty, you're talking about for less than a coffee a day, you've got something with you that's going to save a life potentially.
0: Yeah, from that perspective. Now, look, that's really good. And as I said, uh, I guess from my perspective, you're probably um, talking to the converted, but this is more around people and and our listening audience is predominantly pharmacy. So on that note, let's introduce or talk about the fact that uh, you and I have um, been working pretty hard with uh, a couple of really good people in the Pharmacy Guild uh, for the last 12 months. And we've we've just launched recently, or we, we had the opportunity to go to Canberra and meet with Susan Greenwood, Tiffany King, and Cole Maguire. So talk to, I guess, the, the people listening today what that was all about.
1: Look, we, you know, you introduced me to the fact that, well, let's go back a step. So after Chucky died, and I, I learned about defibs, and... Got involved with trying to distribute them to my community to make it safer. I then, and and there was media information that came through on all this sort of thing. We got to a stage where I, I I came up with some goals and missions that I wanted to to you know to initiate to to make Australia a safer place. And and my goal was to get a deep feed within 180 seconds, which is that that sweet spot to any Aussie that suffers a sudden cardiac arrest in Australia. Now, I said that when I thought, mate, that's a lofty goal, but we've got to go with something. And the media are asking me, you know, what I wanted and what I thought could happen, and that was the goal. So when I met you and you let me know of the amount of pharmacies are out there in Australia, the fact that they were trusted by the community, it's a wellness hub that people go to, it made all the sense in the world that these places, should have a DFib and should be trained up to use it so that they could protect the community and the community know that there's a DFib there. So all of a sudden then I'm thinking, well maybe this goal that I've got is a bit closer than what I thought it was. And and that was that was 18 months ago. So you know things don't move that quick, but it's moved probably reasonably quick in this in this instance. And so the the guild was the, the way that you said we needed to go to get to get things done, and to the guild's credit, they've been open to the fact that of, of what we've been talking about. They understand the need for defibs out there. They understand that you know they should be in these venues, and you know they've they've endorsed out the online training program that we've got. And, you know, and things are looking really positive. So you know, I I I'm, I'm really happy with that. I think that that you know it's common sense what we're doing, and the fact that we've got the support of the guild just helps helps us move this thing forward a lot quicker than what we could.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I guess that's a, the, the nice lead into to where we're we at with that now, then, and that is that several of the big pharmacy groups and brands have come on board through our discussions. And uh, if you're a pharmacist listening today and you haven't already, I guess, put a defib into your pharmacy or, or at least contemplating it, by all means, um, you can contact Guy or myself <clears throat> through our LinkedIn pages, through our websites. But you can also have a talk to your pharmacy group if you're part of a group because... Several of the major groups have actually negotiated fairly hard with us to get some big group buys. So there's some, some deals out there from that perspective as well. And again, you know, commendation to those uh, pharmacy groups, and I might put a link to, to a few of those on our, our show notes page as well. But uh, yeah, I guess the wrap up there is, is that um, the, the target and aim that uh, we're looking for in terms of life saving and reducing the amount of Aussie deaths um, in the Australian communities through the Australian pharmacy industry and through the connection with the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, is that you know, we we see this as a as a fairly vital link. And also, I guess coming back to the the technology that's involved here is that the, these are a a machine that's available in the local community. Everyone's hearing enough about them these days, and I guess today's the opportunity for more and more people to a a create more awareness. Uh, pharmacies as a, as a health and a local community hub to actually create more awareness and talk to people about it. And, and I guess you know become more in tune with this opportunity guy I think it's also a good opportunity just to chat about the fact that we're heading to the APP conference on the Gold Coast at the end of May um, in conjunction with the pharmacy guild and also with the pharmacy platform team so it's a great opportunity at the moment to um, so, say a bit of a thanks to Andrew Pattinson uh, Michael Flannery Nicole Hooley and the team at um, uh, what was InstaGo now, pharmacy platform there there and then you um, group have been very supportive as as well as a, a couple of other major groups around the place, but we'll, we'll be there at APP this year. Um, happy to chat with anyone, uh, happy to catch up with anyone, but we're also happy to chat uh, and, and easily connect, contactable through our LinkedIn pages. Before we wrap up, is there anything else from your perspective that our listeners should know about? Yeah,
1: I think that, you know, the reality of DFibs going into venues that are highly populated, you, you don't realise just how often people have issues with hearts out there in the community and an example of that is I was involved in the rollout for dfibs in all the Woolworth stores in Australia and you know like a thousand odd doorways that you know sprinkle around the country which is a lot less less doorways than than the pharmacy network and yeah like we got the dfibs into all the venues and the first life saved from one of those dfibs that were on the wall in the Woolworth store was the third day into them being out there. So someone dropped in the store, not breathing, unconscious, um, heart issue, and the defect was brought out and was put on the patient, and the staff got them back through our online training that we gave them, and the person lived because of it. So, it, you know, it's a, I look at this and and I think that to go and achieve what Seattle's done, which is a 70% survival rate outside of hospitals, in their area, and to get that same number here means that today, seventy people that out of the hundred that are going to die won't die based on the Seattle numbers. And the only way to do that is for pharmacies, every pharmacy in Australia, to have a dfib and be trained up to use it and promote that out to the community so that they know that there's one there. So you know, it's a it's a big goal to do it, and it's something that will take some time, but any everyone listening would go, well, that makes sense. And no one's ever said to you and I, Scott, that, mate, that doesn't seem right. You know, like okay. why would you do that? It's always like, yeah, well, that makes sense. So makes sense. Yep. like I'm really confident, but also just I, I want time to go quicker so that we can get them out there so that people, you know, certain people aren't dying based on the fact that we don't have defibs out there in the community. You
0: know? Yeah. It's great. Guy, thanks very much for your time today. It's been great to chat with you and look forward to catching up with any of our listeners that might be at APP uh, towards the end of May. You're on your, Scotty. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening today. Pharmacy View is a technology-focused podcast provided by Melbourne-based business, Arian Technologies and Shopfront Solutions. Over the podcast series, our guests include pharmacists, retail managers, wholesalers, suppliers, and industry technology partners if you would like further information on our podcast series or to participate in one of our episodes feel free to send me a message or touch base through the pharmacy view website pharmacyview.com.au